love that intro. Uh, I told my wife that it sounded like an 80s game show intro. <laughs> Welcome to the Family Feud. Um, but it's great to be at church today, first Sunday in February. And we're starting a new series called Held Together. Yeah, we're going to see how God uses relationships to move us forward in faith. Today we're going to begin in Colossians chapter 1. And so if you head that way, uh, we'll read four verses over there in Colossians 1. And as you turn there, I'd like uh, to ask you to pray for my trip to Congo and India that starts tomorrow afternoon. Uh, this week and most of next week, I'll be in Brazzaville and Point Noir in the Republic of Congo. And at the end of next week, I'll go to India to be with our pastors in the Calvary Baptist Foundation for about six days uh, before making the long trip home. And so pray that God will use this time to encourage many of the Lord's servants as they fight for souls in some of the most difficult places on earth. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, in northern India, there have been multiple uh, places where pastors have been arrested just for preaching in their own churches, and so it's a very difficult season for them, in, uh, especially in northern India, but in, in some southern states as well. Uh, also, when you pray for me, if you would please pray for my wife, because she's going to have a lot going on here at home. And uh, so pray for her when you pray for me. Now, uh, don't forget there is a couples activity this Saturday evening, and it's for all couples. Uh, you're invited to come and go to whatever downtown restaurant you choose uh, here in Caldwell, hopefully with another couple or two or three other couples. And so just meet at Indian Creek Square down on the plaza at 5 o'clock, okay? And then you can choose your restaurant and go from there. So if you want to have a fun night out in Caldwell, Idaho, this is the week, right? Friday night, uh, Saturday night. If you go Friday night, nobody will be there. You'd be on your own. Go Saturday, 5 o'clock. It's going to be a great time. Let's read it, Colossians 1, verse number 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist, or all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, this passage displays the majesty of Jesus Christ as God the creator and God the sustainer. And by him, all things were created. He's before all things. Uh, by him, all things hold together. They're being held together. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the only one worthy of preeminence in all things. Now, when you consider the mighty power of Jesus Christ, uh, his true identity as God, and you take into account what Jesus said in John 15, 
Without me, you can do nothing. Uh, The relationship that we have with Jesus sounds like a pretty important relationship. Uh, So important that it is not even comparable to any other relationship we have on this earth. And, And think of the implications on both sides of this. Uh, If I have a relationship with Jesus, that means I am in constant contact with the Most High God of creation. If I have no relationship with Jesus, I can do nothing. Now, this morning, let's talk about essential relationships. As we start into the series, Held Together. These are some of the ways that we are held together by Jesus. And we're going to get into some specific types of relationships in this series. Uh, But today we want to talk about some essential relationships, some essential parts uh, of why and how Jesus holds us together. So we see, first of all, that we are held together for survival. Okay, so this is basic. Uh, Not only is there no spiritual life without Jesus, there's no existence whatsoever without Jesus, right? Bacteria could not live without Jesus. Uh, There would be no microbiology without Jesus. He literally holds all things together by his power. Scientists are, are constantly looking for what they term the God particle, And another term for what is called the Higgs boson, uh, which is named after one of the scientists who proposed a theory in 1964 on why particles have mass. And and they theorized that there is this elusive particle that is responsible for giving all other particles their mass. And, And so this theory points to how the universe originated. And because it points to the Uh, The origination of the universe, it can't be proven because the universe is kind of already here, right? And uh, so it's just a theory. But scientists have been writing papers and books and and testing subatomic materials to find this God particle for over 50 years now uh, because they have observed that gravity pulling on mass is what holds the whole physical universe together. Now, I am no physicist, but I did stay on a Holiday Inn Express last night. Just kidding. That's like a 90s commercial. Um, I have read Genesis 1-1, and I'm just a simple man, but I know that in 10 words in Genesis 1-1, all five conditions for universal existence are presented. Right? Just think about Genesis 1-1 for a second. Everybody knows what it says, right? In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. And so think about this. In the beginning, time. Okay, that refers to time. God, that refers to force. Okay, so in the beginning, God. We have time and force. Created, that's energy. Okay, he created the heaven, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. So in the first 10 words of the Bible, we are given all five conditions for existence. That's pretty crazy, right? Psalm 19 shouts out, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Uh, Day and day utter his speech. 
Night under light shows knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Romans 1 adds this. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, mankind, are without excuse. And so think about this. Without Jesus Christ, who is God the creator, we do not exist. Okay, it's pretty plain. Uh, there has to be some relationship with God for us to even survive. And, and that shows up in our original design. Uh, Adam was made in the image of God as a triune creature, body, soul, and spirit. God authorized Adam to use all the other parts of creation, not just to survive, but to thrive. Okay, uh, the plants, the animals, the air, the water, the sun. Uh, all these things were created for our use. And then when you get a little more detailed and you think about the placement of the earth in the solar system, okay, why are we the third planet from the sun? Uh, or the angle of the rotation on the earth's axis, why, why is the earth tilted at just the right angle, the distance between the moon and the earth that controls the seas, the atmospheric pressure that's being perfectly balanced with breathable air on this planet, uh, the balance between water and land allowing for the water cycle to be perpetual. God planned, like he intricately planned for us to be here and all people enjoy a basic relationship with God as creator. Do uh, you know the greatest skeptic on earth has a created being relationship with God? Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. And, and so whether we believe in God or not, that we have a creative relationship with him. Without him, uh, we would have no intellect to form theories against him. Without him, there would be no voice to call out complaints against him. Without him, there's no basis for right and wrong. There's no basis for relationships. There's no basis for love. There's no basis for eternity. If you don't have a created relationship with God, then you aren't here. And uh, how many of you are here today? <clears throat> and uh, hopefully, you're like actually here, here. Okay, I want to do a cough drop. I didn't think I was going to have to, but for some reason, we're just still in that territory. Thank you for whoever gave me water as well, trying to get me through the message this morning. Uh, your survival depends on your creative relationship with God. And yet God offers so much than just survival. He, he offers more than that. He offers abundant, eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. And just like you can't survive physical life without God, you obviously can't survive eternity without God. The core definition of eternal death is infinite separation from God. Infinite separation from God. That's eternal death. And so when we say essential relationships, this is by far the most important relationship in your existence, right? Your relationship with God. And uh, we live in a generation of skeptics. 
We live in a generation that gets information off the internet or from a professor or from a friend. And when you ask them deep questions like, where, do you come, where did you come from? They are so bright that they say things like, my mother, right? Not understanding the implications of the big picture of God's design. And so we have this survival relationship with God. But we have a much better and, and much more enticing relationships with God than just survival. We also have these relationships for sharpening. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, for sharpening. Now, you probably know basically what Proverbs 27, 17 says. Iron sharpens iron, right? So, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. When an axe is dull, it doesn't stop being an axe, right? Uh, it just becomes pretty much a useless axe. When a knife is dull, it doesn't cease to be a knife. It's just an ineffective tool. But a knife that is sharp is useful. It's even more shiny than a dull knife, right? Have you ever, have you ever sharpened a knife? And it's even just more shiny because it got sharpened. Uh, an axe that is sharpened will stack more wood in an hour than a dull axe will stack in a couple days. God wants us to have relationships that sharpen us. And we all need relationships that improve our usefulness for God's kingdom purposes. And there are a whole bunch of those, right? Uh, think about God's Word. God's Word is a two-edged sword, right? It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, right? Do you know where your soul and spirit meet? I don't either, but God's Word does, and it pierces to that point. It'll sharpen your life as it's illuminated by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, along with the sword of the Spirit, we have many providential connections that file off our rough edges, okay? Uh, one of those connections are called parents, right? They help us uh, to be more useful in life. How many of you kids are thankful that your parents are helping you to be more useful in life? Aren't you thankful for that? That's a wonderful thing. And I can tell uh, where the age limit changes, right? Uh, everybody who was under nine years old just raised their hand. And the people who are between 10 and 15, they're like, Ugh, right? And then the people who are older than that, they figured it out again. Even Colby is like, yeah, my parents are here to make me useful. That's good stuff. Your parents are here to make you useful. And, and so when you are sitting on the couch watching SpongeBob all day, and your mom comes in and turns it off and says, hey, let's empty the dishwasher, she is trying to teach you how to be useful. She's sharpening you. Now, what is the first response for any kid who just got SpongeBob turned off on him? Mom! Right? Not right now. Not when they're talking about Krabby Patties. Right? Or whatever it is. I don't think I've ever seen the whole SpongeBob. But apparently that's what it is. So uh, they're trying to make you more useful, right? When dad comes in your room and he says, 
get in here. We need to talk about your room. Get this room cleaned up. Yeah, why should I have to clean my room, right? Nobody else lives in here but me, right? And uh, they're trying to make you useful. They're trying to help you. I remember when uh, Cody was probably 11 or 12 and Austin was maybe 9 or 10. And uh, one of them kept bringing their, their towel in after the shower and dropping their towel on the floor in the bedroom and it just sit there and rot, and, and so finally, uh, I called Dawson, and this, I think it was Dawson, but I called them both in the room, and I said, okay, guys, I want you to call your mom in here today, and I asked mom to come in. So, mom, mom, come in here, mom. So they bring mom in here, and mom's in, and I said, now, I want you to say, mom, will you please pick up my rotten, messy, dirty towel and take care of it? They both looked at me like I was from another planet, which often happened, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And so they looked, Mom, will you please pick up my messy, dirty, rotten towel and clean it for me? And what was I showing them? That just because you don't do something doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have to do it, right? Somebody still has to do it. Just because you're irresponsible doesn't mean that everybody gets to be irresponsible. Because if everybody were irresponsible, then nothing would ever get done, right? Now, you have this at your workplace. There are people at your workplace who are just totally irresponsible. But that doesn't mean that things don't still have to be done, right? So what are we here for? We are here to sharpen each other, to make each other more useful, and sometimes sharpening hurts. Sometimes sharpening files off some rough edges. And every one of us will be a dull, useful tool without constant sharpening. Uh, you don't ever get sharp enough to not need God's Word. You need it every day. You don't ever get so sharp that you don't need the Spirit's leading. You don't ever get too sharp for godly friends. The fact is, we all need godly friends to provide that sharpening effect. Now, dull knives are not only useless, they're also dangerous, right? They're dangerous. You don't want the surgeon using a dull scalpel on you, right? Like the surgeon's in there working on you like, hey, this scalpel's not cutting anything, right? That's not going to be good. You want the scalpel to be extra sharp. I think James Brown said it this way. You're like a dull knife, just ain't cutting, just talking loud and saying nothing, right? You know why we keep repeating the same bad choices over and over? Because we need sharpened. And, and so grab a hold of those sharpening relationships that God wants you to have and be prepared to be challenged. It won't be easy, but it'll improve your usefulness. And you need people around you who make you more useful. Now let's talk about another essential relationship, the relationship that is for stretching, for stretching. Along with relationships that sharpen, we need relationships that stretch us. 
I was reading that a single draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds, four tons. One draft horse can pull four tons. But two draft horses that are hitched together can pull 24,000 pounds, 12 tons. And with training, after you train the team together, they can pull 32,000 pounds. That is four times what one horse can pull. Teamwork stretches your ability, your effort, your knowledge base, your productivity, your capacity. Think of, of these verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Yeah, to give you a chance to look these up. Ecclesiastes 4, I'll just read a few verses here. There's so much wisdom in this section. And starting in verse number 9 here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he is not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so if you were to do this like a math equation, and we put this in your notes, <clears throat> you would say that my strength alone equals a limited ability to do some things. Okay? <clears throat> and is that true? My strength alone equals a limited ability to do some things. Right? Is there anybody in here who by your own ability can do everything? Because I'd like to meet you. Right? No, we, we all don't have the ability to do everything, okay? Most of us in here cannot touch the rim on a basketball hoop unless we get a ladder. But some people can. Apparently, Payson can. You know, he's, he's in. He's just a jumper. Um, we, we can't all play instruments, but some people can, right? We can't all... Uh, do calculus problems and get the right answers. But some people can, right? We, we all have different abilities. And, and so uh, when you are by yourself in your own strength, you have a limited ability to do some things. And it, yes, you can probably put together a large piece of furniture by yourself, but having a partner will make it much easier. Have you ever installed a ceiling fan by yourself? Sure, you can do it, but you're going to get down off that ladder a lot of times, right? Because you're limited to your own physical structure and ability. Yeah, pitching a tent is much easier with a friend. Washing a St. Bernard is much easier with a friend. Building a house is much easier with a bunch of friends. Have you ever seen a time-lapse video of an Amish barn raising? Now, that's cool, right? Together they can accomplish a whole bunch more than what would be done alone. They can build an entire barn in one day. And so the second part of the equation says this. This is in your notes. Yeah, my strength plus others' strengths equals enhanced ability to do more. Right? A team can accomplish more. When we combine effort and ability, we get more done. But 
The second part doesn't even come close to the third part. Here's the third part. God's strength plus our faith equals ability to do the impossible. Okay, so God's strength, which is unlimited, plus our faith equals the ability to do the impossible. Only God can make impossible happen. It can't be done without him, right? There's nobody in here. No matter how much ability you have, you don't have the ability to do the impossible, right? Because if you can do it, that makes it possible. Now, your relationship with Jesus stretches your strength and ability infinitely further than you can go on your own. And so we need stretching relationships. Let's talk about this final essential relationship. We need relationships for sharing life. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to look at one verse here in Acts chapter 2. This is a description of how relationships worked in the first church at Jerusalem. Look at Acts 2 and verse number 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Okay, so they were together. They had all things common. They shared life. They knew each other. They were known by each other. They were aware of each other's needs. They met each other's needs. But most of all, they were united in the common purpose of glorifying God. And and for Christians, that's what sharing life means. We're in the same family. We have the same father. No matter what circumstances we face, no matter what trials we go through, our father reigns. Our savior lives. We have victory through Christ. We have the opportunity to give thanks in everything because God is working all things together for our good. And we share in the understanding that when the shadows of this life have gone, we fly away to be with Jesus. That hope, that assurance is the strong foundation for why the shared Christian experience cannot be replicated. See, there's no earthly purpose that unites the hearts of people like this, right? When you ask people, how do you share life, right? They say all kinds of things. Well, we're both 49ers fans. Yeah, sorry for you. Uh, we, we both like knitting. Uh, we both enjoy snowboarding. We're both foodies. Uh, we have kids the same age. We see each other at the gym. We work in the same office. We grew up together. None of those compare with this. We will spend all eternity together praising Jesus because he paid for our sins on the cross. There's nothing like sharing life with other believers. What do unbelievers notice about the relationships that Christians share? What makes Christianity so fulfilling? According to Jesus, both answers are found in John 13, 35. Okay, that's where they're both found. Now, John 13, 35 is a, a scripture verse that every single one of us should know. We should all memorize it, put it on our hearts, because it is the ethic 
of life and of love that Jesus gave. It is above the iron rule, which is do unto others as they've done to you. So if they punch you in the face, you punch them back, right? It's above the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the Jesus rule. It's the platinum rule. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, what kind of love is this? This is treating others as Jesus has treated you. Okay, it's the best ethic there is in in human relationships. Now, think about this. Why do we love each other? Is it because we're better than unbelievers? Is it because our character is so pure? Is it because we just don't have faults anymore? No, it's because we are his disciples. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. As Pastor Andrew said this morning, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Why is sharing the Christian life so good? Well, because the Lord's good. His goodness rises above the negative circumstances of this life. He's good all the time. That is the shelter in which we hide. That's the rock on which we stand. God is good. And it is because of God's goodness that we love God one another. When we share a heart of discipleship, when we share satisfaction in Christ, unbelievers notice. Now today we've talked about being held together through essential relationships found only in God's family. And and we need all of these. Uh, I'm so thankful that Jesus holds us together. Relationships are just one of the many ways in which Jesus holds us together. Let me ask you this as we close today. Do you have a relationship with Jesus that rises above the created being relationship? Everybody's got that, right? If you are in existence today, you have a created being relationship with God. What I'm asking is do you have an eternal life relationship with the one who paid your debt on the cross? Let's bow together. Father, as we pray this morning, we thank you for holding us together. And there may be someone here this morning who has a created being relationship with you. They realize that you've made everything and that without you, we do not exist. We can do nothing but maybe they've never received Jesus as the only redeemer for sin, as the only savior for mankind. And I pray right now that they could know, that they could reach out in their heart to you and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I'm turning from my way to yours. I accept you as my savior. Forgive my sins. Make me part of your family. Yeah, I pray that we all today and through this week would realize the wonderful relationships that you've given us in the family of God. 
and that you'd help us to use those relationships to sharpen each other, to strengthen each other, to share life with each other here in the family of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you